Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I'm really excited to have my personal friend on the show today. His name is Tyler Whittingham. And before I read his bio, I met him because I reached out to him to get help with my YouTube channel. He is a really successful YouTuber. He's most well known as the creator of the Nacho Cam, which is a family focused YouTube channel featuring his Chihuahua, Nacho. And as I reached out to Tyler, we became friends. The other day we were working on my YouTube channel and he was philosophizing about what is happiness and how is it quantifiable or how do we measure it? And I thought you should come on my podcast and talk about this. So he's here today. Tyler's motto is never settle for less than your dreams. And after graduating from Brighton High School, he fulfilled his dream of playing college football for his father, Kyle, at the University of Utah. Since then, he met his wife at a Halloween party on campus while he was dressed as Gilligan from Gilligan's Island, which is very Tyler. (laughs) So I love that. They're now raising their one and a half year old son together, Cooper. Welcome, Ty. Well, thank you, Anne pleasure. I'm so grateful for all the help you've given me over the past year with the BTR YouTube channel we're still working on. Can you tell us about what happened when you discovered the term gaslighting? Absolutely. Before I do, I think it's important to just give a little bit of background. Pretty much everybody who's listening to this, I would assume, found you or searching on the internet for help with this type of stuff. Looking at the analytics behind YouTube channels, I'm able to see many of the things that you guys were searching. And gaslighting, was one of the most common search terms. I started thinking to myself, gaslighting, what the heck? I've been in a relationship for about seven years now and married for about four of that. And I gaslight. How did you feel when you recognized you were gaslighting? First of all, was just captivated by the negative effects that not only research performed on on btr.org's content library led me to believe, but just other third-party sources as well about the negative feelings that gaslighting causes from the other party, the insecurities, and just the things that I never want my wife to have to experience. Through learning what gaslighting is, I was able to recognize that I am doing it and I don't want to do it. It's not like I do it and I'm happy about it. I I do it and I realize it. I, I feel horrible about it and I'm able to to stop and divert many times. If I am gaslight and don't stop myself, I know exactly what to apologize to my wife about, but yeah, I gaslight. Since trying to make these adjustments in your life of recognizing the gaslighting and making changes, have you noticed improvements? I heard a phrase many moons ago called treat people how you would like them to become or how you envision them being, and then they will become that. If you're always telling somebody that they're crappy or they're not doing something right or twisting their words and and making them lose their confidence, then it makes them not feel good about themselves and hard for them to put their best foot forward and look at you the way that you want them to look at you. And I could definitely see that when I avoid tactics, I won't even call it a tactic. It's just something that happens naturally, unfortunately. But when I avoid that type of stuff, my wife is just so much happier relationship. No insecurities, no self-consciousness. We feel like we're much more of a team when that doesn't happen. That's awesome. And you'll get better and better at it as you practice. First of all, it takes recognizing it and then it takes practicing it. When I learned about gaslighting, I noticed that I was gaslighting my children. 
no, you love broccoli, right? Eat your broccoli. You love it. What are you talking about? And now I'm like, oh, I know he doesn't like broccoli. I'm going to believe him. And if I'm going to talk to him, I might say something like, I know you don't like broccoli, but it does have some vitamins that you need. Will you please eat it even though you think it's disgusting? It's just a little bit of a change that helps things be more peaceful. And then he's not fighting me about how he feels. He's saying, oh, yeah, she knows how I feel. And maybe I will eat it because maybe it does have some vitamins in it that I need. Yeah, it's kind of like Chinese water torture, gaslighting is, where if somebody does it to you just once, just brush it off, doesn't even matter. But it happens again and again and again. And all of a sudden you're questioning your own thoughts and, and what you ever even said and, and agreed to in the past, then it, it becomes overwhelming. So I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that Ty and I were talking about his pursuit of happiness. Tell me about when you recognized that you wanted to actively pursue happiness and how you're applying that in your life right now. Well, and I come from a fairly successful family. Fortunately for me, my dad and grandpas both had tremendous work ethic and they were also fairly in the limelight in the professions that they chose. And as I was growing up, I just remember that my parents would never bring work home. They had a bad day at the office. I didn't even know. I didn't even know if they went to the office that day or not. Just whenever we were interacting, I was interacting with them. It was so genuine and so focused on me. And I've been married for about four years now, and we have a one and a half year old son. I'm a business owner. I have a lot of different demands on my time. And I heard a quote from a professional golfer once that said that they only hit about four or five good shots in any given round, four or five shots that they're truly pleased with. I've also heard that musicians never truly like their own performances. They can just hear imperfections in it. And that's how I was treating my days where I would look at things that happened in my day or things that were happening over the course of time and and they wouldn't be just exactly how I wanted it. And so I'd let it start to get me down and let my mind spend extra time contemplating those particular issues, which drips over into home time. I'd be sitting at family dinner, just like with a blank stare on my face because my mind was trapped in the office. And it was really affecting my happiness across the board. And I don't want my wife to have to deal with me coming home grouchy because of a bad day or overly excited because of a good day. I just wanted to be even keeled. And so it was at that point, really after my son was born, that I started to notice how much what happened at work would affect my outer life and that I didn't want that to be correlated. I wanted my outside life to be happy all the time, no matter what. So were you seeing that your happiness was directly related to your income more or less, like how successful your business was? And then if it was kind of like a down month, then you'd be sort of caught up in that and it would affect your relationship at home. Is that what I'm hearing? Something like that? Kind of, but it's not necessarily a direct correlation with the revenue itself or how much money I was bringing home because it's always been enough. I've been fortunate in my life and business dealings that I've always had enough to not have to miss meals or anything like that. Just the fact that in business, money is the scoreboard. Money is very frequently, unless you're in a nonprofit type industry, if you're in most businesses, then the amount of revenue that the business makes is directly associated with the success of the business. And if you're a competitive person, 
having that determine your overall happiness can be a risky thing. Yeah. You decided that you were going to look at what happiness meant to you and then try to determine ways of measuring your happiness. And then we started into this existential conversation. What does happiness look like? What would it mean for you to be happy, right? And I was like, be do, be do, be do. I remember trying to explain it. Like I'm at peace. My kids are okay. I'm not in the gutter, you know. And then I really caused me to think. So as you've been thinking about it, what are some ways that you have determined that you can actually measure your happiness? I don't necessarily know yet as far as making them hardline and tangible. I break up my days into three parts. The first part is the morning. It's from the time that I wake up until I start working. Often I will go to the gym, have a cup of coffee until I get into the office. That is the first part of the day. And I have a list of things that I need to accomplish during that time in order for me to consider it a win. And then the same thing with the second two parts. Second part is while I'm at the office, so usually between 7.30 a.m. and and about 6 p.m. And I have a list of things that I know that I need to be accomplishing while I'm there. And the final part of the day being 6 p.m. and beyond until I fall asleep, if I'm able to come home and not have my mind trapped at the office or constantly milling about problems. If I am able to just maintain a positive attitude and be happy, for as silly as it might sound, that is how I've been quantifying my happiness and whether or not I'm I'm doing the things that I should be doing. It looks like you feel like you have three distinct parts of your day. The first part of your day, you may classify as self-care. You're working out, you're drinking your coffee, then your work time where you're concentrating on your career, and then your family time in the evening. I really like that you have purposefully put in a self-care time. I'm just starting to do that where I'm starting to work out again. And today I actually ate a bowl full of vegetables, which was a miracle. I was like, oh my word, I ate a bowl full of vegetables. This is so exciting. For women, it's very difficult to juggle those things. What book did you read that kind of spurred this? I don't necessarily know if it was a book. I've just been watching a lot of videos on YouTube about consciousness lately and reality. But the bottom line of consciousness and what it means to me is that every second that you're existing, that you can have some type of tangible experience. We spend so much of our time thinking and longing for the future and not being in the present that It can make the present miserable. It can make the present not something that is enjoyable, something that people even get to the point to where they want to end their present existence because they just can't fathom going on for one moment longer. I have tried to remove as much of thought of the future from my present moment as possible because the future can cause a lot of anxiety. The future can cause you to not necessarily be as present and in the moment with the current people that you're with or whatever it is that you're doing. The concept is stress over potential unknown things in the future is fictitiously created within our head or it could be construed as fictitiously created in our head. None of those things actually exist. And the only thing that exists right now is your current being. When I was in the throes of my trauma, so my ex has been arrested. I am not knowing what's going to happen next. I'm continuing to pray and my answers are be still. So I have no idea what to do. And I'm confused. 
and my future seems extremely bleak and actually just horrific. But I do remember talking to a friend and she said, do you have a roof over your head? And I said, yes. And she said, have you eaten today? And I said, yes. And she said, okay, walk outside and feel the grass on your feet and take a deep breath and sit down and look at the clouds for a minute. And I actually went out and did that. And in that moment, things were beautiful in that moment. And if I could focus on that moment of feeling the grass under my feet, of looking up at the sky, of feeling the wind on my face and realizing right this very second, everything is just as it would be if my life were perfect. It wouldn't be any different. I still might be standing out here on the grass, right? I still might be looking up at the sky. I still might be feeling the wind on my face. Even if I had the best husband in the world, and even if I didn't have all these financial problems, and even if I wasn't scared to death about my children, this moment would actually still be the same. And it helped me start taking time, what I would call taking a break from the trauma to focus on how it was now. In fact, I am a skier and I love skiing. And just this past season, some things happened with my ex where I was really upset, but I still got my kids in the car and I took them up. I have this ski cart. I throw all three kids in the cart and I haul them up to the lift and everything. And we had a great day skiing that day. And I was able to really focus on that moment. And I thought, if our life were perfect, I would still be skiing today. This is what I would be doing regardless. And it really helped give me hope that my future could be better. We were also talking about how you used to consider yourself sort of a social failure if you didn't have plans on Friday. And now you're feeling like, wait a minute, no, I don't want that in my life. What I want is a peaceful night at home. Can you talk about the transition in what you considered to be a social win rather than a social failure? Yeah. And it's really carryover from younger life to where one of my mottos, in addition to never settle for less than your dream, is to have no regrets. And so in college and in high school, you think about the time of life that you're in and how unique it is and how the purpose of it is to foster as many new relationships as possible, meet as many new people, go out and do and try as many new things as possible as you have that ability. And so I would always feel like I was missing out, feel like I was not doing myself justice if I were to miss out on certain social situations for whatever reason. And the carryover is once I got married and I had my kid, that's really like more than I feel like I even deserve. There's nobody who I could go and hang out with in the entire world outside of a few members of my close family that would care about me as much and get as much enjoyment out of just being with me than my wife and son. And so just sitting there on, on a Friday night at home and feeling like this is what I want. There's nowhere else that I would rather be than right here, right now. That took a little bit of mental conditioning to get into that state. Well, it's funny because the way you described it to me, that is what you wanted. But then you thought, I'm supposed to have plans for Friday night, right? It was more social scripting than it was what you actually wanted. Yeah, like people who have any type of habit, they go home and they open the fridge without even thinking. They're not even hungry. It's Friday night and all of a sudden you just get those thoughts going through your mind. And for a while... I like hung on to him. I was like, no, I got to be social. I got to keep this up. I got to make sure that I'm taking advantage of the time in my life. But how you really qualify, not all time is created equal, in my opinion. An hour with your family is better than five or 10 hours of 
doing something else less meaningful. Congratulations, Ty. You're growing up. You're becoming a man. I think that's so key here because a lot of the narcissistic men that are the husbands of the women who listen to this podcast, they don't want to make that shift. They don't want to become more mature or grow up. And so they get stuck in those really immature thought processes and also immature ways of thinking about things. And so they keep throwing their family under the bus for, in our case, going to a strip club, right? Or whatever they choose to do. And that's sad. It's sad for everybody. And it's also sad for the men. Women are scared. They're trying to establish safety. They're trying to know what the truth is. And it's still the narcissist or the abusive man's problem because he can't establish safety because he's not willing to tell the truth. He's not willing to stay within healthy boundaries. And it is not a fun road, obviously, for the victims of the betrayal. I want you to tell us what you've learned from Nacho that might help our listeners. So you have a very successful YouTube channel, Nacho Cam, <laughs> have a little chihuahua. Tell us maybe something unexpected that you've learned from Nacho, your chihuahua, that may relate with our listeners. Okay. First of all, the volume of success is definitely relative. She has about 14,000 subscribers now. And for a chihuahua, that's pretty good. It's a side project, just kind of for fun. So by no means do I personally consider myself to be a YouTuber. One of the things that I've learned most from my chihuahua, before we had our son, we thought, man, is she going to get jealous? Is she going to feel left out? We thought, no, we're never going to forget about Nacho. And then we had the baby and all of a sudden we start neglecting and it's like going from four hours of dedicated attention per day down to 10 minutes sometimes. And what she'll actually do is she will just demand your attention so much, nuzzle against you, bring her toy over and want to play with you and just say, look, I am here, play with me. Personal attention within interpersonal relationships is something that goes so far Whenever I'm in a rough spot with my wife, I look back on the past 36, 48, 72 hours, and we haven't had good communication. We've been either not talking at all or mad at each other. But that separation, that lack of interpersonal relationship just is negative to the relationship as a whole. And when my chihuahua comes up and just starts pushing to play with us so hard and just wants that and craves that attention... People are no different. Your kids are no different. Everybody needs that attention from the person that they love or consider one of their primary, most important people in their life. They need that attention in order to just feel normal and feel fulfilled. I think that applies in that they feel neglected by their abusive husband, either neglected in terms of he's actively trying to harm them by screaming or yelling or lying or whatever they're doing or neglecting them through ignoring them and pushing them out of their life. We see both of those things here at Betrayal Trauma Recovery. And so letting women know that they are not weird for wanting attention from their husband, right? That's not a weird thing. That's totally expected. And when you ask for attention from your husband and you either get gaslighting, right, or you get a verbal assault, or you get neglect, like, no, I can't spend time with you because blah, 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 and they're on their way, and you don't really know where they are or what they're doing, then you feel bad. That's a normal response. Even a chihuahua would feel that way. Well, I am really grateful for Ty. He has been helping me just volunteering 
for betrayal, trauma, recovery, helping with our YouTube channel, just giving me tips on how to run stuff. Because before I started BTR, I had no idea how to do any of the back end stuff. He runs a business doing this. I am grateful and will continue to be grateful for his awesome volunteer time that he spends in your behalf, you listeners. I'm also grateful that I have a friend who is a healthy man in a normal relationship and just trying to be better every day like all of us are. So thanks for coming on the podcast today, Ty. Yep. Part of our mission here at Betrayal Trauma Recovery is to educate every single woman in the world about what abuse is and what it looks like and that pornography is abuse. And if you're in a relationship with an active pornography user, you're in an abusive relationship. And then what to do to create boundaries for your own safety. We do this on YouTube. We just surpassed 10.4,000 followers on Instagram, which was super exciting. So thank you if you follow us on Instagram. We educate women through Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. We do so much work to get free educational material out through social media. In addition to social media, we also educate women on this podcast, obviously, and then Every single podcast episode goes through a process of transcription and then turning it into an article where we post it on our website, btr.org. You can find every single podcast episode with a transcription. Share those. Comment. Every time somebody shares one of our articles from our site, every single time someone comments on our site, it helps isolated women find us. And that is how we educate people. And all of these things that we do to provide this education for free cost money. So if you would please make a recurring donation to help us take this message to women throughout the world. Your recurring monthly donations help so much. Go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, click on make a donation. Also, every single one of your ratings on iTunes helps isolated women find us. And until next week, stay safe out there.